to Decycling Tips Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey, and I am joined by Dane Cash. Dane, hello. Hey, Abby. How's it going? Good. Good. Are you looking forward to running this show today? Keeping the rest of us in line? I'm going to do something that sounds insane. And Kaylee has never, in his career of podcasting, managed to do and keep this podcast under 40 minutes. Ooh, he's not around to even defend himself there, so. <laughs> well, basically, what's going to end up happening is the timer's going to hit 40 minutes, and no matter what's happening, we're just going to cut it off. I'm just going <laughs> to end it. That's how this is going to go. <laughs> the only problem that that means for you, James, is that we got to get to Nerd Nugget before I cut it off at 40 minutes. Yeah, because if we get to 40 minutes and I haven't said anything yet, then I'm going to be a little upset that I've been sitting here all this time. As rightfully so. You have every right to be upset. <laughs> and shoddy Dave Everett. Shoddy, hey. Hello. I'm guessing you've got somewhere to go then if it's 40 minutes. You've got bike ride plans, something like that? Nope. But one of the reasons that we decided to kind of do this uh, musical chairs of who's on the podcast every week is to try to just shorten it up a little bit. So I'm going to actually do that. <laughs> All right, Abby. Well, then what are we talking about today? <laughs> we have a ton to talk about today. EF Education Nippo is no longer that. Neither is Israel Startup Nation. And there's news about Bernal's contract, Pogachar's plans for 2022. And Dane and I did a little bit of predicting what to follow in 2022. So we're going to go through all of that. Dane. We got some name changes over on the men's world tour scene, huh? Yeah. EF, after one year as EF at Education Nippo, is now EF Education Easy Post, which they already had as a sponsor, um, which was very helpful, a little inside baseball here, for trying to select a photo when we put the story up. There's tons of photos of EF Easy Post already in existence because Easy Post uh, had its name plastered over team buses and all kinds of things. So that was great. Very generous of the EF team to pick a sponsor that was already with them. Uh, Nippo's staying on only, um, but just not as a, a name sponsor, but they'll still be there. And they're also uh, continuing to sponsor the de uh, development team. Uh, Easy Post is a shipping company that uses an, an API to like help you ship stuff. Is it easy to post things? One assumes. Uh, and the company's not that old, uh, pretty new. Um, but yeah, good on them, EF, for finding another title sponsor. It's been an interesting journey since EF came aboard when the team nearly <laughs> folded. Uh, and it seems like the team is you know, back to uh, stability now. So good for them. Uh, th this has been a, a nice couple of years, I think, for that team. They also announced their full roster finally a little bit late. Um... But in the new year, they announced their new roster, or their complete roster, which included Lachlan Morton and Alex House, which were two riders that were kind of up in the air up until a couple of days ago. Yeah, so you know, one of the things that EF, one of the ways that EF approaches uh, uh, announcements that may be a little bit different from other teams, they don't tend to announce when uh, riders are signing until. They don't tend to announce the length of deals which can lead to some confusion when the new year rolls around and we don't know whether certain riders are with the team or not. And uh, it's not as if Lachlan Morton re-signed with EF. It's simply that we didn't know that he was going to be with EF this year. 
and in, in fact he is and uh according to the team he he's always been you know set to continue there was there wasn't a question but uh you know because we didn't really know that uh that was a little bit of news to us that Lachlan Morton was going to continue to ride on with EF into the year uh but yeah, so now they have confirmed their roster finally, and we don't have those questions anymore, at least for 2022. They may they may come up again uh, in 11 months because that's kind of what happens. But yeah. It, it is a team that um, historically does seem to have uh, not problems with announcing riders, but riders chasing up Jonathan Voters to find out if they even ride for the team. We've, we've heard previously. Also true. There's, there's plenty of names out there that... Uh, have put words out on the street. Even I think the secret pro might have mentioned it in one of his columns several years ago about, yeah, Jonathan Vorters isn't the greatest at um, sign on the dotted line well in advance of uh, the season starting. So that might also add to the reason why uh, you hear about these signings very late. Unrelated, but the EF Education Tibco Silicon Valley Bank team jersey was leaked also pink so that's continue the pink debacle in the women's peloton continues uh, assumedly that was uh, uci uh uci's fault uci website situation you are correct which is yep. why at least according to ef they were willing to face a fine when uh they rolled out a jersey unannounced uh not that long ago because they were afraid that it was going to be leaked. So you can kind of mm-hmm. understand that their side of the story there. Uh, yes. Considering this is, this is happening. Mm-hmm. I had, I talked to a couple of the girls on the team and I was like, I really need to see your Jersey. I'm just so invested in what this Jersey is going to look like. And they all said, we've not seen it. So we're not going to get to see it until team camp in late January. And uh, now everyone's seen it. So that's kind of, a bummer for them. The UCI are definitely doing a good job with um, not just leaking jerseys, but messing jerseys up entirely so far this season. It's been a real lot of hoo-ha going on, hasn't there? Oh my gosh, it's been hilarious. I mean, the amount of pink in the women's peloton this year is is insane. And then it's it's kind of comical if you look at all the how the jerseys like all look the same. They were all approved. Um, the the Tibco jersey is like all pink with like blue splotches kind of. And um they denied the Bazinga Durango. That's I don't think that's the name of the team anymore, but it's Biscaya. Team Biscaya, right. <laughs> of course. Um, because it was too pink be- because of the World Tour Leaders jersey, which is ridiculous because the World Tour Leaders jersey is purple. And also no one even knows what the World Tour Leaders jersey is f- around for anymore, other than just confusion. So, anyway, moving on. Israel Startup Nation. What are they next year, Dane? Yeah, I think this is a, maybe a little bit bigger of a news story from a, from a team perspective in that they are now sponsored by Premier Tech, which, of course, had recently sponsored the Astana team. Uh, and then decided that they were better off elsewhere uh, after a little bit of a disagreement, difference of opinion over there uh, at the Astana Premier Tech team. And thus, Astana is now the Astana Kazakhstan team. And 
the former Israel Startup Nation team is now Israel Premier Tech. Uh, we kind of had a hint that this was going to be happening, considering the roster um, over the course of uh, the transfer season. Ugo Ul signed on with the Israel team, uh, coming over from Astana, and of course, Canadian rider and someone who has been connected with the Premier Tech project, and Jakob Fulsong as well came over from Astana. So there was sort of this hint, uh, that and the fact that it was being reported uh, all over the place that they were in talks. Uh, and yeah, that has indeed come to fruition. So good for them for picking up that sponsor and kind of interesting to see what will happen with uh, you know the investment from them. It's a totally natural partnership, I think, in my opinion, um, since Sylvan Adams is Canadian in addition to being Israeli. And... Premier Tech is a Canadian company and the Israel cycling team has always had a lot of Canadians on it. I mean, obviously Mike Woods is maybe their biggest Canadian name, but they've been super keen to pick up Canadian riders, developing Canadian riders for many, many years now. And there was a couple teams that, that they were talking with, but this, this partnership makes total sense to me we got to talk about the jersey though because it's it's not a good looker is it at least i don't think it's a good looker it just looks real messy that lowest case but it's a slight improvement over last year's that's the main thing in it our jersey looks not not what the sponsors are this is like my favorite time of year when all the team jerseys are like kind of finally being unveiled and we get to make judgment calls on the new team jerseys uh, I don't know if everyone's seen the new Cofidis jerseys, but it really looks like they're all wearing corsets. <laughs> Dave, I kind of like the Israel jersey. Uh, I think part of it's the colors. I, it's a great color combo. Good blue. Blue and white. Yeah. yeah it's hard to go wrong. Hard to go wrong. Well, well, I don't know. I think they have gone wrong. That, that's the thing. It's been hard to go wrong, but they've managed to go wrong personally, I think. I mean, I find it kind of boring, but hey. There's plenty of boring jerseys out there, Rob. But if you look in the women's team, there's not plenty of boring jerseys. There's plenty of pink that just look the same, which could get boring. If they do, if they're all the same jersey, like it's exciting the first time. Like when Andy Schleck had the jersey last year, the Andy Schleck team, it was a great jersey. But now it's like everyone copied the Andy Schleck team. They don't even get credit. Sucks. (laughs) All right, moving on. Egon Bernal has signed a new contract with Ineos, Dane. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting one. Uh, he was already under contract, so this is not him signing, you know, at the end of a deal. It's the Ineos Grenadiers deciding, okay, we need to secure his services for the longer term uh, and going out and getting a deal done that will take him through 2026 with the team, which is, I was going to say a really long time, but then... That we keep seeing big deals like this lately. Uh, we've seen Tade Pogacar sign for forever. I mean, th- th- these are a five-year deal would have been, you know, that that in and of itself would have been a pretty big news story a few years back. You just don't see a lot of five-year deals. But then Tade Pogacar is signed through 2027. So maybe that's the trend teams are going uh, in the direction of locking up their their superstars who are young. Um, you know, because of course with with Bernal... Even by the end of 2026, he'll still be really young. Uh, that that's uh, I, I think he'll still be under 30 by the end of 2026, uh, which 
And it kind of makes sense. Maybe he will be 30 in 2026. It kind of makes sense for uh, the Indianapolis Grenadiers when you think about the fact that, yes, this is a long-term commitment, and Bernal has had back issues. So you can understand how uh, there might be some concern there. But he'll be in his prime. So why not lock him up uh, and uh, enjoy the partnership that has been pretty fruitful so far? I mean, Bernal has seemed to really thrive with that team. They obviously love him. Uh, and and they love the fact that he can win them grand tours. So, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. Do we do we know how long Ineos are on board for? When, when they signed back uh, uh, 2020 as the new sponsor, came on as the new sponsor after Sky left, do we know how long Ineos are supposed to stick around for? Because that obviously, um, this signing here obviously shows how much faith, I suppose, not just Dave Bellsford has in the team, but now... Um, Rod Ellingworth has in the team in securing a new sponsor for, for future for future years. I don't think we do know that. I mean, they, they probably know that for now. What do we think that this kind of commitment to Bernal means for Tours de France in the future? I mean, Kaylee in particular has been quite vocal on this podcast about how Bernal not being in the Tour de France hurt Ineos' chances and also hurt the the race itself. But they clearly want to keep him around and you'd think that that means they want him to be a tour contender again yeah i think it's a pretty clear sign of what they expect from the future uh gary thomas i think could still contend for maybe a year or two uh, but he is getting up there as cyclists go not as people go i want to be clear about that he's not very old he's a very young man uh but as elite cyclists go, I think Garen Thomas's time at the top coming to an end. Uh, Richard Carapaz has been one of their most successful riders uh, immediately since coming aboard. He's, of course, won an Olympic gold medal, which is great. Um, and, yeah, he was up there uh, at the Tour and at the Vuelta. But I think the team is pretty confident that Richard Carapaz is not going to beat Hedda Pogacar uh, at the Tour de France and possibly not. Primus Roglic, and he was third behind Jonas Vingago this year. So as as good as he has been and as impressive as he is, uh, and almost any other team in the peloton, I think, would be content with Richard Carapaz as their leader, uh, that's not the Ineos Grenadiers. And I think for them, Egan Bernal is the best chance to overtake Tadej Pogacar. Uh, yes, they have Adam Yates. Yes, they have Teo Gegenhart, But... Neither of those riders has won the Tour de France. And Egan Bernal, I think, is the rider that they believe will be most likely to win them the Tour in the last in the, in the next uh, few years because he has already done it. Uh, so that, to me, is what a, a, a long-term contract says. Uh, it's sort of a sign that they are confident in his abilities, or at least more confident in his abilities than anyone else's on the team. It'll be interesting to see if and who they do sign long-term uh, after, after this signing. To see if they're, they're gonna, yeah, build a long term team around him, or whether it's just gonna be a, a, a year, two year project, um, with yeah, getting riders in for yeah, maybe a two year contract, three year contract at most, because yeah, if they start signing, um, yeah, other riders on long term teams, you definitely know that a, they're all behind him, and b, there's definitely a lot uh, a long term sponsor in Eos maybe staying on longer than than we we already know of. Yeah, it's uh. It's not unheard of for teams to sign deals like this, even though, even though the sponsorship situation is not set in stone. So 
it would imply that they you know have a sponsorship money through the end of 2026 but who knows then again we've got like a bunch of riders from Quebec who had contracts and do not have a team <laughs> that's what i was kind of thinking of in that moment yes it's not funny it's very sad sorry speaking of the tour Tade Pogachar defending Tour de France two-time Tour de France champion has kind of released his race schedule and his targets for 2022 already looking forward to the year. So it includes the tour, but there's also some awesome one day events thrown in there. Yeah. He, I think confirmed is the, is the right word here because we already knew most of this, uh, in December and not, not much has really changed. Uh, but in December it was, um, it was the Slovenian broadcaster RTV that had reported this, uh, and uh, this is him actually saying it. Um, so we have now gotten confirmed intel from Tadej Pogacar himself that he will be riding not only, of course, the Tour de France, where he will uh, be aiming for a third straight win, uh, but also four monuments that include Tour of Flanders, which is a, it's a pretty big deal. Uh, Tadej Pogacar is someone who has proven... Uh, he can win a lot of different races. And that's been such an exciting part of, of watching him these past two, three years is that he's not just been uh, laser-focused on the Tour de France. And we've seen so many Tour winners in the past decade or so, past two decades, uh, particularly the, the ones from Team Sky, uh, have been locked in on the Tour de France and then you know, one or two other stage races in the year. Uh, so yeah, the Dauphiné and you know maybe Paris-Nice. But outside of that, you would not have seen uh, Chris Froome thriving at Liege Bastogne Liege. Chris Froome's one-day race track record is not good uh at all to say the least. It's it's kind of crazy how not good it is actually. He's just not really interested in them, and that's fine, but it's really cool that Tadej Pogacar is. Uh and he of course won two monuments last year. Uh, I think I feel like Tadej Pogacar's brilliance last year was a little bit kind of understated cuz you get to the end of the year and he's won two monuments and a grand tour. That's uh that's really hard to do. And this year, he's going to be going at the Tour of Flanders. Also, Milan San Remo, uh, he said in his, uh, in his quotes that he, you know, just because he's racing them doesn't mean he's going to win. Uh, but he might. So we'll, we'll find out. Uh, and then at the end of the year, he's going to race the Vuelta, which I think is great uh, because we've seen Primoz Roglic at the Vuelta uh, dominating the last couple of years. And I, I love Primoz Roglic versus Tadej Pogacar battles. I think... They've been an entertaining, an entertaining way to uh, to determine who the who the top of the sport is over the past few years. So they just keep going head to head over and over again, uh, and so should be an entertaining two Grand Tours this year with Tadej Pogacar. And assuming he decides to try to go for a fourth straight title, Primoz Roglic. Now there might there might be people out there wondering about the with him riding Flanders whether it's a case of him having a, a play on cobbles ahead of the Tour de France, because obviously this year the Tour is going to take in some northern cobbles uh, after it makes its way down from Denmark some way or another. But uh, personally, I would say it's def that's definitely not the reason he's going to be doing it. It's, it is, I would say, down to him just wanting to race. We've seen it before. This guy loves racing his bike and... Yeah, the, the cobbles of Flanders is very different to the cobbles of um, northern France. They're not anywhere near as harsh. So doing Flanders isn't really um, in any 
way, shape or form really giving him an idea of what, what to expect when July rolls round and they do take on the cobbles of northern uh, northern France. He'd have to do Rube he'd have to do Roubaix to uh, to really know what that one's like. He had mentioned that, you know, one of the reasons was, yeah, I want to ride cobbles. And I, I also thought the same thing. I thought, well, you could just do that. You could just go ride cobbles. Uh, and I think he's going to make a trip to the French cobbles while he's up there. Um, but I also think it's a little bit of him just saying, oh, yeah, I'm just, just going to try out Flanders, see how it goes. And then, you know, three months from now, he's going to be up there battling. Who knows? Uh, he's He's got a team that doesn't have the – it's not like he's got a Wout van Aert on his team. So he's got a little bit of flexibility there. Uh, they have some good riders, Matteo Trentin uh, being one of them, but I think he's going to have a little bit of, I think he's going to have a go at it. We'll see. I'm so excited that he's, that he's targeting these races. I mean, not targeting, but like fitting these races into his um, build up to the tour for the exact reason that you just said, Dane, we've seen so many tour champions the last couple of years who just are solely focused on the tour. And it's so exciting to see them racing other places and kind of see what their skill sets are outside of racing a grand tour, because it is kind of a, a little bit of a different skill set to race a one day race. And it's really impressive that someone so young can kind of do it all. I think it's great. And it's yeah, and it's also, he may be the, the, at the forefront of it and he's the one who's winning these one day races mostly, but, uh, Primoz Roglic also, um, you know, gets, Gets up to some fun one-day races when he's not doing Grand Tour stuff. Egan Bernal loves the Italian one-days. Uh, Richard Carpas won an Olympic gold medal. So, yeah, it's it's definitely kind of a trend right now that some of the Grand Tour talents are happy to put their skills to the test in other ways, which is great. And I think it's really good for, it's really good for those races. For a race like Liège or a race like in Lombardia, uh, to be able to say that they have the reigning Tour de France champ on the start line. I think that's that's really good for them. We, we're brushing over Milan San Remo, that the, the first classic, really, because you don't you don't put that on your calendar unless you want to do something there. You don't turn up and do three hundred k just to get the miles in the legs. You're there to to try and win. So I, I'm trying to think the last Grand Tour rider who actually had it on their calendar and went out for it. And it's it's a difficult one to say, isn't it? I'm just looking through all the old statistics and it depends on whether it depends on whether you count Vincenzo Nibli in that list because he good point. certainly as could could be considered a Grand Tour rider, uh having won all three of them. Yeah, good point. Very good point. So I I just think yeah it's ace that is it's to see this many um monuments on the calendar from a Grand Tour rider is just it's stupidly exciting. And um, though, yes, the UAE is uh, the sponsor of the team, it's difficult not to have that as one of your favourite teams at the moment with all this sort of stuff going on. Okay, before we dive into Nerd Nugget for today, Dane and I wrote some pieces last week uh, looking forward to the top storylines to follow on the men's and women's side for 2022. Dane, do you mind if I go first? Go for it, yeah. So for me, on the women's side, the kind of biggest storylines to follow, the increasingly competitive world tour landscape. There's last year, there was 35 world tour race days, so stage races and one days, and a few races were canceled, but there's 71 race days on the women's world tour in 2022. So 
a massive jump up, plus five new teams. So between the new teams, which makes it a competitive atmosphere for continental teams to get into the World Tour races, and the increased number of race days, it's going to be interesting to see how the Women's World Tour continues to progress over the next season. One of the other really interesting storylines for the year is going to be how the Tour de France Femme avec Zwift fits into the new calendar directly after the Giro Donna, which the Giro's obviously been around for quite a long time at this point as the longest race on the women's tour calendar, but throwing in another eight-day race a couple weeks after the Giro Donna is going to be really interesting and how riders approach the Tour de France Femme avec Zwift, be it uh, is it going to be as game-changing as we anticipate it will be with the live coverage and the uh, amount of hype around the name, the Tour de France? Are all of the big names going to go into it on top form and going for the win? How How is it going to change the calendar? So that's one of the other ma- major storylines going into 2022. Abby, have you heard much about that last question that you kind of just posed there, because I would think just given the name on the race, that alone is going to, is going to draw so many big names. That's going to be a big, big target of the season. And have, have you heard anything to that effect? It's a really big toss up. And I think you can kind of split the Peloton into two camps. Those being, um, there are riders from English speaking countries where the Tour de France is like such a dominant pillar in cycling that the fact that they get to race it finally is such a big deal that they're going to target it. And then there's other riders who have been in the sport for a really long time and are approaching it with a little bit more skepticism and maybe some realism. Um, I think it was Lizzie Dagnan said it's just another race, but then you've got riders from say Tibco who went world tour purely for the Tour de France Ramovic Swift and riders on that team are going to be just purely focused on that race. So I think there's kind of two different teams going into the race and I think it's going to make it even more exciting, but at the same time, it's still a world tour stage race, an eight day world tour stage race. So there are a lot of riders that are looking at it as just um, another opportunity to be on top. I mean, Demi Vollering, for one, is really excited about it, it seems like. So I think it it kind of depends how long you've been in the sport and um, and what nation you're from, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. Surely, yeah. surely it's not so much how long you've been in the peloton or haven't been in the peloton that's going to matter with the race but how much your sponsor wants you at the front of that race because surely like the Tour de France the name of the Tour de France is going to be massive for, for all, all of the spo- yeah. all of the sponsors where yeah uh, the other other women's races like yeah they're not getting they're not getting the TV um, scheduled time slots like this one will be but surely this is the one that's going to be like right yeah this is the big one, no matter if you think that race or that race is more important because it's been around longer, been more established. I think some of the riders who have been around for a really long time know that there was a Women's Tour de France before. 
And so for them, it's not so much this brand new shiny thing that they're like, oh man, we finally get to race the Tour de France because they know that we had one that happened and was canceled. And so I think, especially when it comes to ASO races, there are a lot of women who have been in the Peloton a while and go into those skeptically. Um, I mean, the ASO isn't even having start to finish live coverage of the women's Tour de France. So they've already kind of dropped the ball when it comes to that. But I definitely agree. I mean, uh, FDJ Novella Aquitaine Futuroscope is going to be a team that is really focused on this race, being a French team and also um, having FDJ. FDJ has been a longtime sponsor of La Course by the Tour de France. I'm not sure if they're going over to sponsor the Tour de France Femme of X Zwift, but they still have ties to this race that make it a fixture in their calendar. Dane. What are two major storylines from the men's side this year? Uh, good question. Um, yeah, I'll go with one big one for me, and I think it's it's one that we're going to have a chance to see over and over again. The, the story's going to keep developing, is trying to determine the sort of sprint hierarchy in cycling right now, because we, we're in an unusual time, and I, we kind of have been actually for a little while here. Uh, there was a really long period where it was very clear who the top sprinters were there was this long stretch where it was Kittle Cav or Gripe one of the three and they were always battling and then there was sort of the rest of the field was was clearly behind them uh, and that's really not the case anymore obviously with with Gripe and Kittle not racing uh Cavendish you know had a really long time not winning and last year Sam Bennett seemed to be kind of primed to take up the mantle uh he had a great 12-month period, but then kind of heading into the Tour de France, he was suddenly not racing the Tour de France, and Mark Cavendish was the last-minute replacement, and all of a sudden, Mark Cavendish had a little bit of a career resurgence and went out and won four, four stages the Tour de France. Uh, and now, to me, it's it's a big question mark. Who is the top sprinter in cycling? Who are even the top sprinters in cycling? It's not even that clear you know, who that top tier is because, yes, Cavendish was fantastic at the Tour, uh, but he is... In cycling terms, not a young man at the age of 36. A very young man in terms of podcaster uh, uh, ability. But in cycling, <laughs> in professional racing, um, he's not a young man. And so we don't know. I could see whether... Cavendish starting a podcast. I could definitely see that. Totally, yeah. Uh, and maybe he'll do that after he doesn't win anything Maybe he'll year. be on Dancing with the Stars UK as well. Or <laughs> Dancing with the Stars Britain. <laughs> Uh, or, or, or maybe he'll be great this year. Maybe he'll go out and win a bunch more stages at the Tour de France. It's entirely uh, uh, within the realm of possibility, I think. It's, it's something that could happen. We didn't expect it last year, and this year I'm, I'm not going to rule him out. Uh, but maybe uh, we will see Sam Bennett return to form. Maybe we will see Caleb Ewan kind of take up that level. Uh, you know, he was hurt in, in uh, a, big, a bad crash of the Tour. Maybe Dylan Grunewagen will get back to that level. Uh, it, there's just so many possibilities, and we don't know who is at the top of the sprint food chain, and that's just so rare. Uh, and it's kind of exciting. So basically from now until the end of the year, but particularly in kind of the run-up to the Tour de France and the Tour de France itself, we're going to have an opportunity to see all these riders going head-to-head, and, and it's going to be cool kind of tracking who is on top, who is the best at, at the moment. Um, we'll see. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh I'm excited about a number of other things that we've actually already talked about a little bit. So I don't need to, I don't need to hash over a, once again, the, the excitement of watching Tede Pogacar and the classics. We've already talked about that a fair bit. 
Uh, I am curious to know whether DSM is gonna gonna get it together because I don't think their situation over there is sustainable uh, for for much longer. Uh, the the whole uh, saying farewell to riders early thing, you know, that's not too big of a deal if you do it a few times. And and they did it a few times, and then they did it a bunch more times, and then they did it m- more and and again. And now <laughs> I can't see. I mean, team teams need to have stability for riders to want to sign with them. And the the team now they have they've cr- created this image. This they've cultivated this image of of being a place where you maybe don't want to work. And it's one thing if if you have that image when you're highly successful and your and your riders go on to win a lot of stuff, so they can at least justify. Well, this it's a tough environment to be in, but at least it works. Uh, but DSM was not good in in 2021. Uh, they were as World Tour teams go, they were they were not a successful one, and so that you know they can't really fall back on that excuse anymore. So we'll see. I mean, I think they're going to either have to change their culture or win some bike races, and if not. I don't know who's going to sign with them anymore. Uh, does, does any team really have stability? I guess from from where I sit, I mean, granted, I am not as I don't pay as much attention to this sort of thing as you do. But it seems like even top teams are always on the verge of collapse because some sponsor pulls out or like something happens. Like it, there seems like there's no stability in pro road racing at all anywhere. It's all relative. You know, I, I guess there is that you, you make a good point. Your team could just totally disappear with a lack of money. But I mean, when when was the last time a team had the exact same name for more than like three years? Yeah, I mean, Movistar. Jumbo Visma. There's your example of okay, there's, there's a your example of stability. <laughs> Trek Segafredo's been Trek Segafredo for like five, four years, five years. But but that shouldn't be the exception, right? Like, shouldn't that be the norm? Anyway, mm-hmm. tangent. Nord alert! Nord alert! Nord alert! Nord All right, alert. James, your nerd nugget this week is a continuation of last week's conversation yeah so this week nerd nugget is once again related to indoor cycling because that's sort of the season that we are in at least for most of the northern hemisphere and i had a question come in from a listener uh, patrick derocher who was uh who was actually wondering about uh kind of like humidity levels inside the room that he is riding indoors in um not so much to the well, i guess not so much in the sense that he's trying to figure out how to keep himself cool but more that uh, during a workout, he's uh, obviously kind of building up so much sweat and humidity in the room just from from body heat that his windows are fogging up. So we were kind of talking about some some ideas to keep that from happening in his, uh, I guess, room or apartment or something in Chicago. Um, and I tossed a couple of ideas out to him, and he actually came back to me with uh, with feedback on how one of those worked in particular. And what we came up with was uh, using a second fan at the door of the room to blow air out of the room into the rest of his living space. And that apparently has worked to keep his windows from fogging up and keep the room a little bit less humid. So that's a handy little tip that, that I guess he and I worked out that I just kind of wanted to pass along. What, what about just opening your window, James? Surely that's going to help. <laughs> it could help in theory. Might be kind of cold outside, though, which is why most people are riding inside. <laughs> yeah, you're working up a sweat. You need that bit of air woofing through your windows, cool you down cheaper than the fan in it i don't think like opening your windows into like say you live in the mountains and it's super snowy and like real cold out i don't think <laughs> sweating and opening your windows is i i don't i'm not a doctor but that doesn't sound healthy well and actually speaking of real cold dan and i actually had a conversation about this topic 
uh, over the last few days. Because, Shadi and I too, by the way. Oh, James, yeah. I, I was <laughs> yeah. talk, talking to Shadi about the same stuff. Yeah. Hmm. So, so I guess we have a little bit of a debate in terms of what constitutes real cold. Um, yeah. So well, I want to know what this. I want to know what what his um, you know, his cold threshold was. You know, for riding inside and creating this humid situation. Because living in Chicago, I feel like he's probably got to deal with some serious cold. Uh, I'm guessing, yeah. I mean, I lived in in the Midwest, not too far away from Chicago, for multiple multiple years, and uh, it got wicked cold there. And it also just felt really cold because of the higher humidity levels, and it was just just pretty miserable. Um, but just case in point, Shadi, uh, the other morning, so I was up in the mountains, and in in the morning, before the sun came up, it was min- minus 13 degrees Fahrenheit, which converts to minus 25 degrees Celsius. That's real cold. Fair enough. Yeah, you might want to keep your windows shut. It's humid outside too, so it's like humid, humid, cold, and humid, warm. So, anyway, there are people on the Velo Club Slack who would who would say that we should ride in that. I think, and they would there, send there me are. messages. There you are. Know, they, they were my commitment for not riding in that. So, so well, that I mean, to, to be fair, your 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 comfort your t- comfort temperature threshold was self improving, self admitted to be rather, rather it, it mild. Is, is. I think you but said it's something getting like, better. I'm working on it. Okay, right. but, okay. Well, you got, you've got a, you've got a lot of, lot of room to move here there's, because I think there's a long way to go. Yeah, I think you I said your threshold 20. was something like yeah, yeah. You yeah. said your threshold was something like 16 C, which is like 60 degrees Fahrenheit. That's pretty Oops, nice. I guess it's 15. You know, let's let's be accurate here. Okay, right. 15. But it's, now 15. it's big, yeah, now big it's getting closer. It's getting closer to. To the, to the zero. I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, that is my handy nerd nugget that I'm sharing with you today. So hopefully if anyone else out there is riding indoors and having issues with, uh, with I guess, excess humidity in the room, fogging up windows and that sort of thing, then maybe getting a second fan is a good idea to go. And I guess as a nice little bonus, it'll sort of uh, raise the humidity levels in the rest of your house because in the winter times, inside it's usually pretty dry. I wonder if having... Um like a fan pointed by your handlebars kind of helps at all with the, the sweat on the handlebars problem. Well, no, I don't, I don't Well, maybe, maybe, I mean, we, I did hear from a couple of people who said that they were using pretty strong fans. Uh, in particular, there's a, there, there's one brand that I know of called Lasco that makes, uh, the, the fan is very similarly shaped to, uh, what Wahoo uses for their kicker headwind. Um, and it's really designed for like drying floors, but it's like a very, very, directed concentrated blast of air and if you if you aim that right at you then i think that would work pretty well um but still i think it's much better to just sort of like wipe your hands and change your handlebar tape and keep sweat from your bike it's, or you can be gross. like me i don't sweat i'm a lady. right 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 you can be like listen. me and just not change your handlebar tape that's the other option here just li- you know live with yeah. it yeah that's a good reminder that's so gross that's a, that's a good reminder for me dane to never work on your bike again ever you want to just put new handlebar tape on it? You could do that. Mm-hmm. Gloves, yeah. full, you know, full respirator kit. Yeah, you should show it. You know, next time I bring my bike over, uh, you can, yeah, you should wear those, uh, those gloves, the, the rubber, yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Along with like a, one of those COVID suits. Yep, full haz- yeah. full bio hazmat suit, definitely. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, anyway. Thank you so much, James, and thank you to everyone for listening. We will be back next week to talk about more bikes and bike-related topics, and uh, have a good week.